0: Wednesday morning. Welcome to Connect, the California MBA's weekly podcast featuring interviews with movers and shakers in the mortgage industry. It's the end of the month. So uh, what we're doing at the end of the month now this year is we're doing uh, little mini panels based on the topic that we've covered during that month. So I'm excited to welcome in a, a three-person panel of some of the top rising stars in the commercial real estate finance industry. So we'll get to that conversation here in just a minute. But before we do, let's thank our sponsors over at Accelerate so if you're looking to close more loans in 2021, and that should be you, that should be everyone, you should definitely check out uh, Accelerate's new platform and experience Accelerate's award-winning customer engagement uh, um, efforts and their their products that uh, feature lead management, CRM, call routing, sales enablement, marketing automation, borrower engagement, and data intelligence through innovative use of multi-channel marketing, which includes text, social media, email, direct mail, phone, ringless voicemail, retargeting, and very much more. So, if you've got any questions about how to uh, find out more about Incelerate, definitely make sure you're following Josh Friend on LinkedIn. He's got a lot of good content they put out uh, on LinkedIn. And if you want to schedule your personal demo, make sure to go to accelerate.com. You can do that there. All right, before we jump into the conversation, I want to toss it over to our CEO, Susan Malazzo, for this week's update. Susan.
1: Thanks, Dustin. Hi, this is Susan with the California MBA, here to give you some exciting news. Uh, As you might have noticed from our um, conference marketing for 2021, we intend to hold our Western States CREF conference in person this year, September 8th, 9th, and 10th. We have received recently information from um, the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Bureau that the state of Nevada, um, their governor has announced that if their COVID rates continue to trend positively, that as of May 1st, the state's restrictions will be lifted and uh, turn control back over to the county. So this is really positive development for our ability to um, hold this conference in person in early September. Of course, we'll have all of the um, health and safety protocols will still be in place at the ARIA, and uh, we're looking forward to a successful, um, but still very safe and healthy conference to welcome you in this year. If you're interested in information on how to participate in the Western States Craft Conference, you can visit our website. That's it for this week, back to you, Dustin.
0: All right, thanks, Susan lot of uh, good news there it's, uh, we're uh, planning very hard at this moment for our uh, annual western states crep conference and after last year's virtual event we're definitely looking forward to getting back in person so that's definitely good news from uh, our friends in las vegas and the uh, visitors bureau there so let's jump in the conversation i want to welcome in three of the rising stars in commercial real estate finance today we've got sarah bernheisel who's uh, vice president with slack capital up in burlingame we also have uh, Pasha Johnson, one of the principals at Pacific Southwest Realty Services in San Diego, and then in the LA offices of Gantry, we have Amit Tiagi, uh, one of the senior directors there. So welcome everyone. Thank
2: you.
1: Thank you. All right, you. Well, let's uh,
0: let's jump into the questions here. Uh, we'll uh, we'll start with uh, you, Amit. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got in the industry, and then how you wound up at uh, Gantry
2: sure yeah so i'm born and raised in los angeles so i grew up in west l.a kind of in the mar vista neighborhood uh, i went to high school in el segundo played basketball there and then i went to ucla i uh, studied economics at ucla and when i graduated kind of in the depths of the great recession not knowing uh, where i was going to end up i took a job in wealth management and i ended up hating it. Uh, i had done a couple of internships with colliers um and had some experience in the commercial real estate world uh, while I was in school and also kind of grew up around real estate. My my dad was a civil engineer for 30 years, developed a few apartment buildings here in LA. And so I've always been around real estate my entire life. Uh, growing up, it was more like, hey, go fix the sink in 203. But, um, you know, kind of have progressed since then. And I uh, heard about the opening in our LA office at the time uh, when I stopped the wealth management uh, work. And uh, a fraternity brother of mine in our Seattle office at the time told me about the opening. That was 10 years ago now, put my resume on a desk. And it's kind of been the perfect niche um, where I have this quantitative side that is satisfied with with our roles here. And then also there's a relationship and personal aspect of the business that I love too. But that's kind of been my my route. I was an analyst and an associate in our firm uh when i started off and made the jump to production and have been doing that for the past few years
0: yeah well it sounds like you tried to escape the uh the real estate life and you know just it pulled you back in right
2: I, maybe i tried to avoid uh doing what my dad did and uh you know realized maybe that was the uh the calling the entire time <laughs> you can't avoid genetics apparently
0: um so sarah how about you how'd you uh wind up at uh, where you're at there at uh, slack capital
3: yeah, so um, as you mentioned, I'm I'm a debt originator at SLAT um, in the LA office. Uh, I've been in the industry for about nine years and collectively with SLAT for about five. Um, I also graduated in around 2008, so not a great time to be entering the job market, but I was lucky in that I got a job actually with the Marsha McLennan companies um, in New York City, Um, but in 2012 SLAT actually took a a bit of a chance on me. Um, I had some friends that were in the real estate industry in Southern California and were starting to do well. Um, So I moved out to LA in 2012 and started as an analyst at SLAT. Um, And then in 2015, I actually moved up to San Francisco to join JLL's debt and structured finance group. And then in 2019, Dan Friedeberg, our CEO, recruited me back um, to team with him on the on the production side. And actually, just last month, I relocated from San Francisco back to LA. So it's been great to be back in in LA and the Southern California. Um, and also. Uh, I don't know if um, you guys are familiar with slack Capital, but just a quick background. It's formerly Barry very SLAT mortgage company. Um, we're a boutique mortgage banking firm. We're headquartered in the Bay Area, but we have offices um, seven offices throughout California. Um, we have a servicing portfolio of about 4.3 billion, and we place in service loans nationally.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, we're very familiar. I mean, very SLAT was one of the uh...
3: One of the originals
0: here at the California MBA for sure, and one of the founders actually of the Western States CREP Conference that uh, is definitely a nationally recognized uh, real estate finance event. So yeah, absolutely. Um Pasha, how about you? How did you uh, what uh, brought you into the industry and uh, to uh, uh PSRS there?
4: Yeah, definitely, and thanks for having us, Dustin. Um my experience was similar to Vince in a way. I'm a native of San Diego, um grew up in San Diego, went to San Diego State, i never left as I'm looking out the window and it's 75 and sunny and realizing I'm probably never going to leave. While at San Diego State, I was turned on to real estate. Uh, Like Amit, I had some family in the business, Um, joined the Real Estate Society and, you know, as a sophomore through senior year, kind of never-ending saga of coffee interviews with uh, gentlemen that had already found their path in the industry and finally found a a place at a regional brokerage here in San Diego. And that's really where I cut my teeth. Um, at some point, they brought on some gentlemen from Wells Fargo to build out a debt brokerage team, uh, which is where I uh, discovered my passion, if you will, and eventually uh, made the hop over to PSRS or Pacific Southwest Realty Services, where I uh, started as an analyst, uh, You know, eventually made the jump into production, um, and actually just the first of this year bought in as a partner of the firm
0: all right hey congratulations You're great great company and we certainly know you know dan phelan and uh and uh, michael tanner there over there over at uh, psrs very well you guys have been great members for a long time so let's uh let's fast forward to uh today's marketplace uh, we've certainly spent the last uh, few weeks chatting with some uh, folks in the industry and getting their perspective on the industry but as three sort of uh you know rising stars in the industry i'm interested in your perspective as well so sarah let's start with you what's What's the current state of the market from your perspective and you know, what's your outlook for the uh, remainder of this year?
3: Yeah, um, so overall the real estate market I think is still in a state of flux. Um, we're continuing to see a contraction in retail and office um, but industrial is expanding tremendously while I think multifamily for the most part is holding strong. Um, I think this trend is gonna continue through 2021 until the vaccine is fully rolled out and and investors become more bullish on what the post COVID environment is gonna look like um, when there's herd immunity. Um, Also, I think the Fed has continued to calm the market by taking a patient approach on interest rate hikes. And I think you're also gonna see that approach um, continue as the economy recovers from COVID in, uh, in 2021. And I think you're gonna see interest rates remain low for the next few years. Um, just speaking to the 10-year Treasury, um, you know, in the last five days, we've seen a bump in the in the 10-year by 14 BIPS. Um, in the last month, it's we've seen an increase by 26 BIPS. Um, but compared so this time last year, it's down 13 bips, and compared to three years ago, we're down 150 bips.
0: Yeah, yeah, you did a lot of lot of opportunity for growth there, for sure, in the year. And uh, I think you're right about the Fed being patient with with interest rates. I think that's definitely a good thing for everyone. Uh, Pasha, what's your what's your take?
4: Yeah, uh, to me, it kind of feels like we're stuck in purgatory, and we have been for a while. Uh, the tide hasn't really come out completely. Uh, there's certainly been some winner, winners and some losers. And uh, as Sarah said, you know, office, retail, hospitality, some of those have become a little more tricky. Um, but in the same way, there's definitely been uh, a few asset classes that have uh, benefited. Uh, I know here in San Diego, there's been a huge shift towards life science. Uh, pretty much all of our class A office brokers have already changed their name tags to life science, class A life science brokers. And uh, shifts like that kind of come with their own you know, hosts of challenges that uh, vendors might not be used to. So uh, for life science, for example, the higher uh, TI and LC costs and and prices create for a loan per square foot that might have some of these guys, you know, have their eyes popping. Um, And they, unless they're from the Bay Area or from Boston, they might not fully understand the the depth of the demand of these markets. Um, So we spend a lot of time kind of showing them the market data and getting them comfortable with those type of asset classes. as far as outlook, you know, I'm an optimist. I know that's kind of ironic to work in the debt space and be an optimist, but um, you know, I, I think that uh, as things continue to lighten up, and there's been so much intervention, at least to to fix the short term, even if it comes at the cost of the midterm or long term, that um, I think we'll we'll see uh, lenders start to get more bullish and uh, start to foray back into some of the asset classes right now they're not touching.
0: Well, do you think, uh, specifically on the life sciences, we had this, uh, we, this came up in uh, last week's podcast, um, and I asked the same question, I'm curious for your take on it, do you think that's a, a long-term trend, or do you think at some point we're going to have a little overheating in that uh, life sciences market once, you know, the uh, vaccine's out there, once we kind of get back to something, you know, yeah, something close to normal uh, in the, in the uh, you know, marketplace? I, you know,
4: it probably is a little bit market-specific, but for us here in San Diego, um, and I think it's the case in several markets, this is just an acceleration of a trend that's already been happening. Uh, there are definitely a lot of the smaller firms that are making um, their their money from coronavirus-related products, but there is a very deep and diversified pool of life science tenants. And what we're seeing right now, um, down here anyways, is that it's kind of a, a snowball effect because a lot of these uh, tenants or companies assist other companies in the same space. So if you have you know, large companies like Illumina or, or other companies that are similar in uh, size and um, you have these smaller companies essentially moving in and providing them goods or services and kind of expanding that way. So yeah, I think there, there might be a small pullback, uh, pullback but uh, in general, I think um, we'll continue to see a move in that direction.
0: Still pretty soon. Uh, Amit, what's your uh, what's your take on the state of market and uh, uh, going forward the rest of this year and beyond?
2: Yeah, I, it's hard not to agree with both Sarah and Pasha on on the comments that were made. I think uh, just kind of following up on what Pasha was saying, I think it is interesting right now, and actually Sarah's point too, where multifamily and industrial seem like uh, hot asset classes for, I mean, debt and equity, all investor types at this point really are focused there. Uh, as we kind of see what the changes may or may not be for the retail and office sectors, it is putting additional light on kind of some of those other categories, like Pasha was saying, life sciences, we're seeing medical office have uh, a lot of attention right now. And we're super busy with the self-storage space right now, as far as an asset class goes. Um, As far as the uh, lending world goes, I think we we're definitely very thought out from what the freeze was. Call it middle of last year. I think a lot of lenders were on the sidelines, uh, looking inward to their portfolios to see where risks may or may not be at the time, um, and have you know they've they've since adjusted their portfolios. Uh, you know made some accommodations on loans that needed some help and and are now again back on the playing field putting loans out. So. Uh, I think the first few folks back in the lending space were the balance sheet lenders. Uh, we do a lot with the life insurance companies here at gantry, and so the life insurance company market has been healthy for it feels like six seven months now um, and and we 're starting to see c m b s pick back up, which is great so I think it 'll help with liquidity from the debt side as far as some of those uh questionable or more questionable asset classes go they 'll play probably more on the retail and office space than um, than a balance sheet lender probably would at this point in time. But I think generally speaking, the capital markets seem like they're getting healthier and healthier every day. As long as the vaccine roll out and no other strain pops up that pushes us back into pandemic mode, uh, I think we'll be back. And I think I agree with Pasha. I'm, I'm optimistic for what 2021 has to bring. I think there's been a lot of patient capital on the sidelines, which I think is good. And I think we'll see that rebound really keep the market healthy right now. That's good. I love hearing three good,
0: three optimists, or three good uh, positive takes on the market. That's good. All right, Pasha, let's uh, let's switch to you here. Let's uh, switch gears. And uh, I've got a question about uh, uh, the administration and its potential impact on the industry. Obviously, we're only a few weeks into the new Biden administration. But from your perspective out there in San Diego, what are some of the things you're keeping an eye on as far as potential impacts on the market?
5: Sure. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, metrics in particular that uh, I'm keeping my eye on first being the uh, extension of the foreclosure and eviction moratoriums until June of uh, this year. Uh, This has already impacted the way that we underwrite deals. Uh, Collections reports have become a pretty critical metric that we look out for, and i got to imagine that investors on a go-forward basis uh, will be looking at not just asset class, but markets uh, in terms of uh, what they can collect. Uh, Another big thing that uh, I'm, I'm looking at is Obviously, Biden's pushing for a $1.9 trillion stimulus plan right now uh, that would bring total government stimulus um, relief up to $6 trillion in the last 12 months. It's a pretty staggering number. And that type of intervention, obviously, uh, pushed or in my opinion, anyway, pushes us towards a more inflationary environment. Um, and if that happens, I think it's going to have some pretty noticeable impacts on real estate. Uh, Actually, in my opinion, I think it's a great time to be a borrower as we enter an inflationary environment. Generally, um, during inflation, wealth transfers from lenders to borrowers as they lock in a fixed rate and pay back with cheaper dollars. Um, Obviously, they're going to benefit from the uh, asset appreciation as well. And um, another, you know, maybe, uh, you know, side effect that we might see is extended low rate environments might also increase. Uh, or show a widening in the wealth gap. You know, those that have assets or are paid commissions based off of asset values will probably benefit. Uh, and Those that are paid a fixed salary might not. So, some of those things that we're keeping an eye out for.
0: Absolutely, uh, Amit. What about you? What, uh, what's What's uh, keeping you up at night thinking about uh, potential, potential impacts from uh, Washington?
2: I think the key one is what Pasha hit on is the stimulus. So I think the stimulus will have effects on inflation. Um, I think there also may be tax policy coming in the future that could affect how wealth is transferred from generation to generation. So there could be impacts there as well. Uh, yet to be seen, kind of what that may entail. But we're already seeing some clients try to get ahead of that. Uh, like Pacha said, rates are still low and, and um, it, you know, it's, it's still a good time to be a borrower. Um, and we're seeing a lot of people change their strategies a little bit. I mean, we have a client who's historically... Uh, borrowed on a ten year fixed rate basis, who is now looking forward uh, and we just signed up a twenty five year fixed rate loan you know still sub three percent, so you know an in, in incredible interest rate that they can carry forward into the future, and if inflation comes it 's all the more beneficial to have something like that locked up now they're also seeing that as a potential estate planning tool later, giving them at least flexibility for a portion of their portfolio as uh they can amortize that debt closer to zero at what are still historically low interest rates, so you know the stimulus is is out there inflation's coming. It sounds like the Fed has taken a stance that they're going to use their you know the tools and their toolbox to try to uh, manage the inflation as best they can and so you know while I think rates continue to trickle up for some time, I still think we stay in this historically low interest rate environment for at least the next couple of years uh. As we try to manage that inflation, who knows how hard it hits and, you know, if we run out of room to dial it up or dial it down from monetary policy perspective. But um, those are some of the things we're seeing out there now.
0: Yeah, one's well, funny you mentioned the, in the low interest rates um, for the next couple of years. I think that, I mean, once you get, Pat, once you get uh, inch closer and closer to 2024, it's going to be kind of hard for anyone to imagine interest rates going up at that point. So I think you've got a, a good point on it on interest rates being low for quite some time here uh sarah how about you what's your uh, your thoughts on uh, potential impacts from washington
3: yeah i mean i think the outlook for biden's um impact on the market overall is optimistic i mean there was so much instability in the last administration that i don't think you're going to see um, moving forward with the new administration i think um the larger you know federal stimulus package is going Um, to help boost real estate demand in the near term. And I think more aid to state and local governments could reduce pressure to raise taxes on real estate. Um, One of the bigger concerns, I think, is the potential elimination of the 1031 exchange program. Um, If 1031 exchange um, is eliminated, that would heavily disincentivize investment in the real estate market um and i think the impact um it would have on just the economy the neighborhood or neighborhoods and just real estate in general would be uh, pretty awful
0: yeah yeah absolutely so uh, sarah let's uh, let's stay with you for this next question here um we're gonna uh switch gears a, a bit hair here um, but uh, tell us, what do you think is a, a potential, maybe hidden gem in the market right now? Maybe a silver lining or a great investment opportunity for the right borrower. We I mean, hear a lot these days, and if you just read the uh, the trade presses, there's a lot of uh, negative thoughts about retail and office and hospitality. So, what uh, do you see? A, a, any potential gems out there that are uh, untapped resources right now?
3: Yeah, um, I think. I mean, we've talked a little bit about how you know the retail sector you know continues to to be challenging for investors and lenders for for a number of reasons. So I think as we've seen in the past, we're going to continue to see a lot of opportunity in um, uh, retail convert, big box, regional retail centers, um, shopping malls, um, converting to either industrial warehouse space, distribution centers, or multifamily um i also think that there's a lot of opportunity in the hospital hospitality sector um right now i mean i think we've got investors uh waiting on the sidelines just ready to pounce on uh properties that are distressed and i think it's a timing game and it's it's really hard to say you know when leisure travel is going to completely bounce back but you know I'm certainly ready to uh, you know, go vacation in Europe when it's safe to do so. Um, so I think that, you know, we're gonna say, see a major comeback in this asset class in the you know nearish future.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think everyone 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 listening along right now is nodding that yes, I'm ready to take a vacation and go somewhere too in <laughs> yeah. to a hotel at some point as soon as we can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pasha, how about you? What uh, any hidden gems or uh, untapped resources out there that you see in the market?
5: Yeah, I you know I kind of like Sarah's contrarian answer in that uh, retail and office. You know, I don't think those asset classes are going away. I think there's definitely going to be a change in the way that we use them. Um, but uh, you know, some of the more stale asset classes in good locations uh, poses a really good investment opportunity for the right sponsor that can figure out how to position it accordingly. Um, I'm also a bit bullish on single-family residential uh, rentals. I think that uh, as we see kind of a trend away from the cities into suburbia with backyards, and uh, maybe some of these families aren't quite ready to buy their first home. Uh, there's going to be, uh, you know, a pretty notable demand for uh, rentals in the single-family residential space.
0: Makes sense. Yeah. In I terms of to- oh, go ahead, Pasha. I'm sorry.
5: Yeah, you know, in terms of untapped uh, opportunities, I think it, it's great working with uh, someone like us or, you know, Mercerra in finding the right uh, financing for some of these challenging products. I know a lot of uh, lenders are just broad brushing all asset classes together, but uh, it's certainly not the case for all of them. And um, making sure that your capital stack looks competitive going into some of these deals can really uh, give you quite the leg up.
0: Makes sense to talk to a pro. Totally agree. How about you, uh, what uh, what do you see out there that maybe someone else doesn't see?
2: Uh, you know, I think if I could actually point to a specific hidden gem, I might be sitting in the wrong seat in the industry. But I do think that, uh, generally speaking, the silver lining is that friction breeds opportunity. And so I think COVID has created plenty of friction in the marketplace. And I think, you know, the stimulus and things that are kind of helping to prop up what could be a really otherwise ugly situation from an economic standpoint will eventually go away and, and will dry up, whether that's two or three years from now. But I think the teeth of the recession might actually show once those things start falling off a little bit. I think there's something like 15 million Americans who are behind on rent. At some point, that either has to be paid back or they have to find a way to get current, or you know there could be a lot of evictions, a lot of personal bankruptcies. Uh, but that being said, I think there is great opportunity. Obviously, I think retail and hospitality, there could be opportunity to find investments at pennies on the dollar. I think note purchases could be a good place to look. If there's a distressed asset, it could be a good time to step into those roles for a borrower and really, uh, really have their chance to get something with an incredible basis that fits their wheelhouse. I think, um, and I think as the time goes, as as the tide kind of rolls back out, we'll see who's really, you know, uh, equipped and standing on two feet or not right now. Too, I think borrowers who have some liquidity, who have a corporate infrastructure with a team around them, who can pick up a distressed asset, you know, a construction project that falls to the wayside or whatever it is, can be in a position to really benefit from the opportunities that come up here. And uh, and like Pasha said, these are uh, challenging transactions, both for a borrower and an investor, but also on the debt side, you shouldn't try to put a square peg into a round hole. It is worth speaking to an advisor to help really craft a vehicle that fits the business plan well, especially as these business plans get trickier. Uh, There could be some, you know, accretive value in, in your returns with the right debt vehicle as well. Absolutely absolutely
0: and i think all of you you know if you're interested in uh, finding out some more obviously you got three great uh, um, three great professionals right here and all their uh, contact information is in the description here below to uh, contact them if you're interested um Pasha, let's go to you for this next question we had fun with it we asked this, this uh, last month during our our mini panel and uh really had a lot of fun with it so i'm curious what uh, how it goes on this on this side but, uh, uh, Pasha, tell us your your best or your worst uh, sales story. Maybe your, you know, a great win that you had that was, you know, that really fires you up or just a major crash and burn that you learned a lot from.
5: Yeah, uh, I think that probably all of us here, uh, you know, had, came out of this uh, experience with a little bit thicker skin, I uh, know I certainly did. Uh, one, one deal in particular that I think is kind of worth sharing or at least interesting uh, we had a sponsor here in San Diego, build a, he's an architect developer, build a pretty unique product. It mirrored uh, multifamily uh, in a lot of ways, but he was running the entire thing through Airbnb. So essentially, a hospitality use apartment complex. Uh, the demand there made sense. You know, there's plenty of comps to point to, and uh, we were working on the takeout of his construction loan uh, under application. Uh, things are moving along smoothly. I think he was at 80, 85% occupancy. Uh, and then, obviously, when the pandemic started intensifying, uh, his occupancy dropped, I think, from 85% down to 5% in the matter of a week and a half. So, ran some issues there. Uh, timing, obviously, important coming out of construction loan. Uh, the lender that we worked with was really understanding and actually, um, I thought, very creative, uh, decided to bake in uh, an interest reserve that would be drawn down much like a construction loan, not hanging over your head to make payments outside of, uh, the reserve and made an agreement with the sponsor that within 12 months, if he's not back up to a certain debt coverage level level, he would agree to convert the property to multifamily use. Um, so that worked for everyone. Uh, the bar, you know, obviously the lender knew that they would be paid their interest, uh, throughout the next year. And, uh, Readjust and this uh, hit the metrics that he needed to, uh, you know, all the while having a backup plan there for him.
3: Uh, and
5: I'm happy to say that today he's he's back to where he needs to be. Uh, I think uh, he only has uh, you know a brighter outlook going forward. So, so that was a good story, pandemic story.
0: Yeah, that's the proverbial win-win there. Uh, I mean, how about you? What's a uh, let's you give us a, your your favorite sales
2: story? Yeah. So I'll, I'll go back to kind of well before the pandemic. When I first uh, jumped into the production side of the business, uh, you know, your your day one in, uh, in production can be a little bit strange. You're kind of sitting there at your desk and all of a sudden you've got to figure out what you're going to do next. And so, you know, spent a lot of try- time trying to make some cold calls and then going to conferences and things like that. You start planting these early seeds that Gosh, the the fruits of your early labor can be minimal as you're trying to build any sort of a business. So, you know, there was uh, it's it's hard to keep the hope up and uh, and the momentum each day. And as you're in, you know, finally there's a, a breakthrough. And mine happened to be I was uh, sitting at a conference. I'd gone to kind of many conferences and was was marketing on in that uh, arena and was sitting next to someone at lunch who we got to chit chatting and he learned a little bit about. What i do and he said hey you should go talk to that guy over there and pointed to someone a couple tables over i i went over said hello uh stayed in touch with him for about a year went in and interviewed and uh told him about our platform and what we were able to do and you know do you know, fast forward from the time i met him to maybe uh call it 15 months later closed a 41 million dollar loan and as a young producer it was a very much a big win but i think looking back on it you know, more than the dollars and cents of it all, it was the the confidence and morale boost of knowing that I could I could do this thing, right? So it was uh, it was kind of an early pivot in my career that, or not really pivot, just I guess breakthrough in my career at that point that gave me confidence that kind of put some wind at my sails to keep up the uh, keep up the work, keep planting those seeds that later will bear some fruit. And so it was uh, it was a breakthrough in that at that time. Well, I think you make a good point there
0: too, that it's not, it, it isn't just a, a, a one giant victory as much as it is a series of smaller victories that get you to that point where you
2: you know, you break through it. Right so that, that's a great story, thank you. It's the, um, it's the cliche, right. that, or maybe it's not a cliche, but you hear the line that it took me X amount of years to become an overnight success. And in that moment, it, it felt like it. So it was, uh, yeah, very much uh, in a similar vein to what you're saying, Dustin. Absolutely, absolutely. Sarah, how about you? What's your your favorite sales story?
3: Yeah, um, so mine's mine's a recent one and has to do with COVID. So in July last year, we closed on a refinance of an assisted living facility in Redwood City. Um, We first got under app with the lender the first week in March. Um, And then mid-April, we learned about the devastating number of deaths at the facility due to COVID. Um, And as you can imagine, this was extremely difficult for the borrower, they had owned and managed this facility for many years. Um, and at first, we didn't know how the lender was going to react. Um, we weren't sure if they were just going to pull out altogether, they were going to change the terms. Um, you know, this was mid-April. Everyone was kind of freaking out at that right at that time. Um, and just long story short, you know, our team worked very diligently with the lender. It's the a lender that we had a very long we have we've had a very long relationship with. Um, and they ultimately closed um, at the terms that were originally apt. Um, you know, through the process we had a lot of difficult conversations. Um, but at the end of the day, the borrower got a great, you know, a great deal. It was a cash out refi on an owner-user property. Um, and the short-term economics of the deal changed, but the lender held firm. Um, and she was just you know she got a 320 rate fixed for seven years um so it was just one of those situations that you know under such just sad unfortunate unforeseen circumstances um i was just you know i felt like the borrower was taken care of and i was really proud of the work that my team did and and proud of the lender as well
0: yeah that's really inspirational yeah i mean it's certainly one of those times if you you know you're saying it was in april i mean that absolutely could have sounds like gone south and and with all the, the panic in the market at the time i mean that could have gone any one of a number of bad directions so that's great that it turned out well for everyone involved yeah all right well let's uh let's go to our next question here i mean we're going to start with you and uh let's do we're going to do a sort of a, a lightning round here with this question um so real quick tell me what you're more concerned about long term
2: is it retail or office i'm more concerned about office in the long term Sarah, how about you?
3: Um, I'm more concerned about retail. Retail,
0: okay. And Pasha? Yeah, I'm not as concerned about either. Uh, There's the contrarian view right there. <laughs> the positive contrarian. Okay, well then what what, uh, what would you be more concerned about long-term, Pasha? I'm curious.
5: Uh, you know, I think it's, that's, that's a good question though. No, I, I think that uh, retail and office, you know, as things start to get back to normal, especially for office, you know, you're, people say that you're not going to come back into the office, but as soon as your competitor does and starts one business that you aren't, uh, I think that's going to start changing. And in retail, I think it's going to be more of a conversion from uh, some of the uses that we're already seeing we're struggling to uh, more entertainment or service oriented uses. Um, so I guess the challenge there really is how you manage that, uh, you know, that uh, move from one uh, traditional retailer office use to. Retail office of the future
0: yeah well i guess here's the here's the catch too i can't get uh, pasha you know in down there in san diego i can't get him to you know our optimist i can't give him <laughs> give us a negative outlook on anything right now that's great um okay so we got a couple more questions here and i'm curious again we've got three you know up and coming young stars in the industry and i'm curious what your advice uh would be for younger folks that are just now coming into the space, I mean, I think all three of you have mentioned that you came into the uh, the industry sort of in that 2008 to 2010 period when it was not exactly the best time to get into the real estate finance industry. Um, but what advice would you have for younger folks coming in the, into the industry? And specifically, what can the industry do to better encourage a younger, more diverse workforce? Let's, uh, Sarah, let's start with you.
3: Yeah, so I I think it's an absolute advantage being a younger person in the industry. You know, speaking for myself, when I first joined, I had very high energy and no intensive family commitments, which opened a big window uh, for productivity. Um, And I think Amit touched on this a little bit. I mean, with his story, it takes true grit and determination to succeed in this industry. So having the time and energy when you're first getting started is I think is very important. Um, Regarding diversity, I think being a champion of diversity doesn't end with hiring and onboarding new and diverse team members. I think a commitment to diversity is also a commitment to advocacy, support, professional growth and sponsorship. There's a diversity advocate named Verna Myers. Um, She's written a number of best selling books um, related to this topic. And she has a quote that says diversity is being invited to the party, inclusion is being asked to dance. Um, Initiatives to recruit and hire diverse people are definitely an important first step, but it's really inclusive environments that drive successful outcomes, in my opinion.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Pasha, how about you? What's your your take on and your uh, advice to younger folks in the industry? Yeah, definitely.
5: Um, so for me, kind of my favorite part of this industry has always been the personal element. I I love going out and shaking hands and grabbing lunches and interacting with sophisticated and brilliant people in the industry. Um, it's been a little tough for you know the younger folk today, and I definitely feel for them that uh, it's, it's not easy to get in front of somebody face to face. And doing it over Zoom, with, you kind of you lose a lot of the personal element to it. Um, I think as things start opening up, I would really challenge you to try to get in front of as many faces as you can safely, of course. Um, but I think that's, that's crucial. I'm a big believer that, um, in blurring the lines between, uh, life and work, you know, not only are your work relationships more genuine, but I just honestly think that your life becomes more fun that way. Uh, in terms of diversity in the workplace, um, i think there's no doubt at all that our industry is way behind in that respect uh and i think there's a huge opportunity uh to change that so i'm really looking forward to to seeing that happen over the next few years
0: absolutely Amit. let's uh let's uh, end with you on this question What's uh what's your your advice for uh, younger folks coming in the industry i mean specifically what what's interesting to me is you know people coming in the last couple of years especially who don't have that book of business built up they haven't gone through the the, uh, the number of conferences and face-to-faces that you were able to go through that that was necessary for you to have your breakthrough. So what would you tell someone just coming in the, in, into the industry now that's been doing stuff, as Pasha said, on Zoom for the last year, how can they build that book of business?
2: So I think the key realization is that you have a network. No matter how young you are, even if it's a college student who's looking to break into the industry, the alumni network at your school can be a powerful tool. So even as a young person in the industry like Pasha was saying it's it's a it's a relationship oriented people business at the end of the day uh, no matter how much uh no matter how much you think you can do it on your own uh, these transactions always involve more than one party you're going to have to interact with other people and i think it's key to just know that you have a relation uh, relationships through your network that are there and they're out there i think uh, so I, I'm involved with UCLA's real estate alumni group. I'm a board member there, and we interact with the undergraduates and help get them ready for potential careers in commercial real estate. And I encourage them to reach out to folks our age here. We're, you know, uh, all of us have been in the industry for rounding out now about 10 years, and. I think it can be intimidating to pick up the phone and call someone who's maybe 60 or 70 years old, who's been in the industry for 40 years. But it's a little less intimidating when you're talking to someone who's a little closer to your age, who's been, uh, you know, early starting their career in the industry not long ago. um, And just ask them for some thoughts and kind of start hearing about other people they know who you should talk to, even if it's outside your specific niche in real estate, it can never hurt talking to an architect or an engineer or anyone else who's out there. That's how you slowly start building a network and figuring out where you able, may be able to generate business for yourself at the at the right time there. So I think that's uh, that's key is just reach out to the network that you have. You may not know you have one, but, but it's there if you look. Um, and then as far as... Uh, encouraging a younger more diverse workforce um, you know I think it's it's crucial I think if you look at our cities uh, and I take a cross-section of the population it's younger it's more diverse and I think it's starting to trickle into real estate I, a lot of the newer projects we're seeing out there are just they're cooler and they appeal to young people you're seeing more more murals and you know things in common spaces that attract a younger crowd and these are these are great things and I think uh, you know corporations and uh, developers who aren 't putting a focus in having a a workforce that relates to the city they 're going to be left behind at some point the The trends will move straight past them. Um, I think as far as an industry to kind of help with the the youth and and diversity efforts is you know I think employers now um, need to em- empower their younger employees and give them uh, opportunities where they can take on more responsibility encourage them to do things like the three of us here are doing. All our firms were very clearly supportive of our efforts on this conversation. And the more that we're in front of the public eye, I think it will you know, get the industry more used to uh, youth and more used to diverse employees, especially in roles of responsibility and in roles where they're decision makers. And I think it helps further those efforts somewhat organically. So, you know, empowering the youth to take on responsibility is is crucial, I think.
0: That's a great point. That's a great point, Ned. Thank you. Um, so last question we've got time for just one more question. And Pasha, let's start with you on this one. So um, this is one of those issues, uh, advocacy, that typically we ask, uh, you know, folks who've been in the industry longer. I mean, maybe they've had 20 years in the industry and then maybe they get involved in advocacy efforts, whether it's with, know the california nba the national nba naop or or another uh, advocacy group but uh, i'm always curious you know folks that are younger in the industry what would you tell someone else uh because i know like psr has has been a a member of the california nba for a long time um, and very supportive of the california nba the nba and some other uh, advocacy groups out there so what would you tell um someone uh younger in the industry that doesn't maybe see the value yet in the advocacy work that these organizations do
5: yeah, I mean, I, I really can't stress enough how crucial uh, your involvement in these groups are. I, you know, like I said, I sit on the real estate alumni board at San Diego State, uh, sit so on the board of UOI here in San Diego, involved in BayOp, uh, all those groups. And just like the other, my counterparts said, uh, this is a relationship business. Uh, those groups are fantastic ways not only to get education, um, but to make connections that either will end up as clients or friends or both uh so i really think it is of critical importance uh it's been a little bit of tough during the last year with all the virtual events but as things begin to open up uh if you're not at these events i really think you are missing out i would challenge uh the younger guys to not just join the groups but to you know sit on the board everybody's looking for somebody to volunteer and when you're young uh, kind of sarah brought up earlier you know, you look at the gray hairs, and they have something uh, over you, and that's experience. But you have something they don't, and that's youth and time. You have way more time than they do. So uh, I would put it to work and get involved with the groups, and um, you know, try to make it impact wherever, uh, whatever town you're in.
0: Yeah, well, and I, from speaking from the Cal, speaking at least for the California NBA, there's I can't imagine a group out there that's going to say no if you want to get uh, plugged in and get involved. So absolutely great advice. Uh, Amit, how about you? What's your advice for uh, younger folks in the industry that maybe don't see the uh, value in uh, joining and getting involved in these advocacy groups?
2: I think advocacy is is critical. I mean, especially at this point in time, if we look at the political landscape in this country, uh, it, you you can't help but notice how extremely polarized it is. The left feels very far away from the right, and there doesn't feel like a lot of middle ground you know here in the commercial real estate industry our incentives are are aligned i mean whether you have political beliefs on one side or the other as far as an industry goes we we need to be on the same page with a lot of uh with a lot of issues and in a polarized political landscape you know as regimes change as we just saw uh policy changes are more dramatic when there's big polarization in the in the landscape and so as those policy changes potentially have large impacts, they're going to potentially have large unintended consequences too. And that can really throw a wrinkle into uh, any industry from a business and operational standpoint. And so I think groups like the CMBA and the NBA are crucial to helping us stay aligned and work through and smooth out any of the wrinkles that can come with policy changes, uh, particularly in this environment. And it's it's real. I mean, I I, I know that there was I won't get too into the weeds on, a, on the actual issue, but there was an issue affecting lenders that affected how much uh, they could lend, how many loans they can do on apartments in any particular year. And there was some obscurity behind that. And I know there was a deal I was working on, apartment project, that the lender really liked and they weren't able to lend on it, but we were able to get some clarity. There was an actual resolution that came with the help of the CMBA and the MBA and, uh, and efforts by those in the industry that the lender called and said, hey, you know what, we're all of a sudden allowed to do this deal. There was a very personal impact that that had for me. And it makes it very clear that these groups are crucial to us being able to function properly during times of major change. And so I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, uh, of groups like this.
0: That's a great example. Great example. Thank you, Matt. And uh, Sarah, let's, uh, let's conclude the, uh, the conversation here with you. What's your advice to uh, younger folks who maybe don't uh, yet see the value in uh, advocacy work?
3: yeah um i completely agree with uh, pasha and Amit. i think it is so important to support organizations like the cmba the mba uli naop um you know whichever i'm on the board you know you don't want to spread yourself too thin that's important i think you know pick pick two um two or three but uh, you know i'm on the board of the bay area mortgage association um and i just think you know, always, it's very important um, to stay connected as much as possible in this, in this industry. But, you know, I think, especially right now, just with the market being in flux and the uncertainty, you know, these organizations, they provide a great platform for CRE professionals to gain and share knowledge. And I mean, knowledge is power at the end of the day. And you're really just, Doing yourself a disservice, you and your client, if you're not out there just staying connected.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, fantastic advice there, especially on the last question, and fantastic conversation. Thank you, uh, Amit, Pasha, Sarah. Thank you for the conversation. Great to uh, see all of you at least uh, over Zoom. Hopefully, uh, later this year at our Western States CREP conference or at another event this year, we'll be able to see each other in person. Um, but again, thanks for uh, joining us today on the podcast. Thank you, Dusty.
3: Thank you very much.
0: That's good. Thanks. Right? Well, and if you enjoyed the conversation, make sure and subscribe to us here on our YouTube channel. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And we'll be back again on Monday with another episode of Connect. We'll see you then. Here we go.